WD-40, 10W-30, Gear Lube, Hytran, Canola, Vegetable, Peanut, Crude, just a few of the most essential oils to have ever graced our planet. Have you ever stopped to think about it? What would we do without 10W-30? How would your car run? How would you break that seized bolt without WD-40? How would Five Guys Burgers and Fries even make a French fry without peanut oil? Have you ever stopped to think about it? Well, think about it. The next time your unwoke, argumentative friend mentioned that oils can't be essential. Now, we're not going to be talking about those actually essential oils. We're going to dive in to the natural, holistic essential oils. We're going to get into those. We're going to get into some of the claims. We're going to get a bit wackadoodle in today's carpool chemistry. Welcome back, guys. And I just want to say that I am pretty stoked for this episode. I'm probably going to say that every episode, but I am. I'm excited. Uh, it's a topic that I've gotten to a lot of arguments about. It's a topic that I care about being a chemist. So just a little bit of an outline, a little bit of a, a segue into what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, what is an essential oil? We're going to talk about that. We're going to kind of discuss how they got so popular and why they're so popular right now. We're going to talk about with what is an essential oil. What's the process for making an essential oil and why that's important to the claims that they make. And then we're going to talk about the actual claims that they do make, whether or not they're founded on actual scientific principles, whether talk, their claims are research-based and have any merit. We're going to talk about what the science community actually has to say about these essential oils. So uh, we're going to be talking about all those things. I'm going to finally give you the update and the end to last week's episode of the Nigerian uh, email scam. Well, you probably don't know that it was a Nigerian email scam because uh, I didn't finish it last time. I was still kind of going back and forth with this Dr. Abaka. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, go back to the cancer episode and uh, listen to that one. And that'll kind of give you an intro to what's going on. So here we go into uh, what an essential oil is. So what is an essential oil? If you're like me, I assumed that an essential oil, I thought it was just kind of like this bragging claim. I, I feel really dumb now. I thought it was this bragging claim like this was a necessary oil. This is an oil that is essential for life. That's what I thought. But I'm just a dumb guy. So an essential oil is the essence of a plant or part of a plant. Like it is the, the fragrance and the concentrated compounds from that plant or the part of the plant. At least that's what they claim it to be. So that is what an essential oil is. If other than that, if like, if you don't understand what essential oil is, 
I don't know uh, how you're even listening to this podcast and not know an essential oil is because they are everywhere. Legitimately, if you have a mom, they probably have tried to get you to put some essential oil on to cure some ailment that you have. And if you haven't, uh, either your mom <laughs> uh, isn't a mom or she's like a scientist or something that doesn't believe in it. Or yeah, like I, I don't know what rock you've been living under because they are huge right now. Um, so why are they so big? Why are they so dang popular? Well, let's go over a few of the reasons uh, and we'll, we'll kind of get into them. And we'll discuss them a little bit later, but let's get through them real quick. I, I first think the main reason why they're so popular is uh, because people right now, especially they're really popular among conservative types. That's why the two biggest essential oils uh, producers and distributors are in Utah, one of the most conservative states, um, because of the mistrust of the government and the FDA, uh, the Food and Drug Administration. They People don't like the government. They think that the government holds these secrets. They think the government's corrupt, which I'm not saying it's not or that uh, the government doesn't have secrets. But I'm just saying this is why people, uh, they rely on these essential oils. They think that uh, Young Living or doTERRA or whatever, they think that they are more trustworthy than the Food and Drug Administration. So that's one reason why they're so popular. I think the next reason is because of multi-level marketing. And that's how doTERRA and Young Living work. It's it's essentially a pyramid scheme. And that's how actually a lot of these uh, holistic remedies and even uh, some some other things like, uh, for instance, that I know a lot of the diet stuff it it start they're they're starting to get big cuz they work the same way that there's a company like doTERRA and they can distribute to people and those people sell to their friends and to their neighbors and they you know they they get them to buy stuff and those people make a little bit of money off of the stuff they're selling to their friends. And the reason why this makes it so big is once again, you know, you're going to trust your neighbor over the government or some uh, doctor that you thinks, you know, an elitist or whatever. You're going to trust your neighbor who, you know, or a family member over this uh, authority figure. So that's one of the reasons why multi-level marketing works. And you you kind of have to have this crazy belief in stuff that you have to turn around and sell, you know. So, yeah, multi-level marketing is one of the reasons why it's so popular. And the third reason, and it might be one of the biggest reasons, is the insane claims that these oil distributors uh, make. They are just crazy from curing cancer to Parkinson's to, to you name it, there is an essential oil for that ailment. I mean, it is 
they are crazy claims. And we're going to get into those claims later. Uh, I have a pretty detailed uh, list of some of the claims that these essential oils are making. So um, that's, that's one of the reasons why these essential oils are so popular. And that's why we're talking about them today. It's because they are so popular. Um, so let's kind of get into a little bit. It's a little bit more of what an essential oil is. We're going to talk about the process that it takes to make an essential oil and, and kind of why that matters. So I looked up some ways that you could make an essential oil yourself, and it brought up these ways of how essential oils are actually made. Um, the first one is infused essential oils. Essential oils, sorry, not essential. Essential. So infused, think of like... Uh, Actually, you know what? I, I totally lost my train of thought. But infused essential oils is where you take this plant, whatever plant, whether it's going to be frankincense, if you can find the plant frankincense, or, you know, you could do grass even. you could. There's a grass essential oil out there. I'm sure of it. If there's not, you could make it, make millions. Anyways, you take this plant and you chop it up and you boil it in water. And the stuff that boils out into the water uh, and is is the essence of the plant, so to speak. <clears throat> and the more you boil the water, the more water is going to evaporate and the more concentrated your essential oil is going to get. So that's, that's one way to uh, do it yourself, essential oil. Um, the way that most of these big distributors are doing it is steam distilled oils. Um, if you've taken any kind of organic chemistry class, you know what distilling is. Or I guess if you make your own moonshine or alcohol, you know what a distillery is. Um, so a distill, steam distilled, means once again, you're taking this plant or whatever, you're chopping it up and you're boiling it, but you're hoping, you're, you're catching the stuff that becomes steam and you're separating it into volatile and non-volatile. Volatile meaning that it's it's going to become a gas. So there's some of these compounds that are volatile, and they're they're going to be separated into they're going to go with the water, or before the water, if they're really volatile. And the let so you're going to separate. You're going to have kind of some oil based stuff, and then you're going to have some water based stuff. <clears throat> and and those are going to be. Uh, what you're getting your essential oils out of. They're taking a plant, they're boiling it, and they're they're somehow getting these uh these they're catching these chemicals. And yeah, they they are chemicals. So those are the two ways, the two most popular ways for getting essential oils. I'm sure there's other ones out there. I wasn't gonna take that much time to figure out how they make essential oils. Um So yeah, that's that's some of how, like, kind of what an essential oil is and why they're so popular, how they make them, just a little bit on that. So let's get into some of the claims that essential oils have made. Um, 
for this, I I just Googled. I, I didn't want – I mean, there's hundreds of essential oils out there. And then you have, you know, doTERRA with all their different mixes and stuff. I'm sure Young Living has them too. But uh, I just – I didn't want to – you know, I didn't want this to be a week-long episode. I just wanted uh, wanted to keep it somewhat simple. So I Googled the most essential of the oils. And I found this site that's Natural Living Ideas. And they gave me a list of the 12 must-have oils for essential oil beginners. So uh, just to list them off real quick. Number one, clove. Two, chamomile. Three, lavender. Four, ginger. Five, peppermint. Six, eucalyptus. Seven, frankincense. Eight, lemon. Nine, tea tree. Ten, grapefruit. Eleven, rosemary. And twelve, sandalwood. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to discuss each one and some of the claims. And I, I went through and I looked through research. I looked online and, uh, just poured over. It took me so long. I went through each one of these claims that each, this, this website gave all the different claims that this essential oil has, whether it be from doTERRA or young living or some other essential oil person, all the claims that they uh, say these essential oils have. I went through each one, fact checked it, and I also found some extra stuff, whether it be good or bad. Uh, I found it, and I have to admit, going into this, that uh, I my uh, opinion of essential oils was uh, not too high, uh, mostly because of, uh, I guess they seem really unscientific. Um, with how they go about things and the claims they make. And so I I, I just figured I was not I, – I just figured I was going to be putting an X through every single one of these. And to my surprise, I, I, uh, I found there was some truth to some of the claims. Not all of them, but some of them, yes, uh, were correct. And, and at the end, I'm going to discuss kind of my conclusions from some of these, and, and we'll, we'll get into it. But so uh, – Let's start. Let's start with the number one essential oil, clove. Um, these are the claims that uh, they they make for clove. They claim it's an antioxidant. It's an antifungal, antiparasitic, antibacterial. That it, it helps with toothaches, infections, stress, headaches, indigestion, and nausea. You also know, I, I noticed a lot with this website that it was, ex, their claims were extremely redundant. They would say like antiseptic, antibacterial. Those are, they're pretty much the same thing. You don't need to say it twice. So anyways, <clears throat> a little bit on clove. The majority of clove essential oil, up to 70% of it is a, is a chemical called eugenol. Eugenol actually has some antibacterial properties. It really does. It can be used for infections and as an antibacterial. Um, and this clove, this eugenol is a very strong smell. I dealt with it a little bit as an undergrad uh, in some of my instrumental labs. Um, very strong chemical. 
you, you that's the, the majority of the smell of clove is eugenol. But with this eugenol, um, it actually, uh, in too high of a dose, can cause liver damage. Um, there's There was a few cases where uh, a, a little boy died from overdosing on clove and eugenol. Um, so it it's that's one of the main things that people don't realize about uh, essential oils is that just because it's natural doesn't mean that you can't have too much. You can overdose on every single one of these and you will have devastating effects. Eugenol is not good for your liver. Your liver has to break it down and it causes toxic things. I mean, not to say that you can't use clove or whatever, but uh, yeah, it's, it's should be used with caution. That's what I'm saying. Um, so uh, let's just go through each one of the things. And I'll tell you whether I back checked it. The number one thing that they said was that clove was an antioxidant. Um, if you, if you're familiar with all at all with chemistry, an oxidant or an antioxidant or a ductant, it's an extremely broad term. And it doesn't mean the same in chemistry as it does in biochemistry or even in biology. Okay. Um, clove is, it is an antioxidant, but not in your body. Uh, they use clove to oxi to to keep oxidation from happening in rubber. So it's not a process that happens in your body. This is it's it's to keep rubber from oxidizing and and to keep it good. So just remember that when you're just slathering it all over your skin. Um, like I said, it is an antibacterial. It is. I could not find anything that it was an antifungal. Um, a lot of times, uh, that's because eugenol can be created. We're going to get into it later, what an endophyte, but a lot of times eugenol is created by a fungus that's living within the plant. Um, antiparasitic, there was no, I could not find a single, uh, paper that said it was antiparasitic. Um, with toothaches, I found it was used to help with toothaches only when it was paired with zinc oxide. So unless you're just, you know, that stuff you rub on your nose to keep your nose from getting sunburnt, unless you're mixing with that and put it on your teeth, it's not going to help your toothache. Um, since it was antibacterial, it did help with infections. Stress, I feel like that's a little bit of a subjective, so I'm, I'm not going to say yes or no on that. Headaches, it was found to help headaches, so I guess stress a little bit. Indigestion and nausea, no. I could not find any uh, research that claimed it helped with indigestion or nausea. Um, I did find <laughs> that uh, people use clove as an ethical way to euthanize fish. So uh, once again, remember that stuff when you're when you're slathering it all over whatever. Um, next one, chamomile. Chamomile, they claimed to be anti-inflammatory because of a, a ingredient, azulene. They claimed it was an antibiotic. 
antispasmodic, so it stopped like muscle cramping and stuff. Uh, antiseptic, antidepressant, a sedative, an analgestic, and it helps to promote secretion of digestion juice, digestive juices. Um, thought that one was a little out there. So, um, anti-inflammatory. I, I looked up this chemical azuline and I looked up all the different isomers of azuline and I could not find anywhere where they said it was an anti-inflammatory. Um, I couldn't find anything that said chamomile was an antibiotic. I found a few things that said it was an antispasmodic and a little bit a little bit of an antiseptic, not not an antibiotic. Um, it is found to be an antidepressant, um, not a sedative, uh, and it does not help with uh, secretion of digestive digestive juices. And this is one that uh, chamomile they they tell you not to touch or use when you're pregnant or nursing. Um, it, it can be, uh, it can be toxic. And one of the reasons why when it's pregnant is because it causes uterine contractions. So it can lead to miscarriages, can lead to, uh, preterm births. So just remember like, can like, like, like I said, people think that because these are natural natural I'm using you can't see but I'm doing the qu quotation marks with my fingers natural um that they don't have bad side effects or there's no negative consequences these things should be considered a drug they uh they have actions in your body they're not just these miracle plants okay there can be some good things about them, but you definitely have to use caution. There is nothing, there's not a single compound out there, including oxygen and water, that don't have negative consequences when used the wrong way. Okay, so next one, lavender. This is a big one. Everyone, I mean, lavender is put in everything from our shampoos to our soaps to our, you name it, lavender is probably in it. Um, this site claimed that lavender is good for helping cuts and burns. And then it jumps to anxiety, reducing inflammation, anti-traumatic, like it, it helps with PTSD, analgestic, uh, antifungal, antiseptic, helps induce sleep, and a disinfectant. Like I said, it's very, very, uh, redundant that say an antiseptic and a disinfectant and antibacterial what you know just all these they're a lot of the same name for similar things so lavender uh lots of people associate lavender with calming and that's because it actually does it's been found to help with anxiety it's been found to help with some traumas just to help calm people. It's not going to cure your PTSD if you have it. And it does induce sleep. Actually induces sleep so much so that they have found that it lowers your working memory and can cause people to oversleep and cause people to be drowsy. 
Okay. It's also known, these I'm gonna go through some of these bad things. It's an endocrine disruptor. Okay. And it's anti see if I can say this right. Endergonic. Endergon like I'm not saying that right. Um lavender mimics estrogen. The the main component in lavender mimics estrogen. So it can cause prepubertal I have terrible handwriting. Basically it it causes when like they found that all these different soaps and things with lavender in them it messes with the testosterone in young boys and it can cause young boys to develop breasts. So you know, if you are constantly slathering your kid in lavender to make them go to sleep, if it's a boy, that's probably not a good thing. Once again, these have negative side effects, all of them. Um, so if you have a young boy, don't be rubbing lavender all the time unless you want them to have uh, boobs. So uh, just be careful with it. Uh, ginger. The next one. So the main component in ginger is gingerol. It's an alcohol named after ginger because it's found in ginger. They claim it to be anti-inflammatory, uh, a thermogenic, meaning that it, it raises your body temperature and helps with your uh, metabolism. That it helps with nausea, helps with pain. And uh, those were the, there was, it was actually a very short list. It was kind of interesting. Um, I figured ginger would have more. It's one of those things that uh, people call superfood. So I couldn't find anything that it was anti-inflammatory. Um, I actually found studies that said it did the opposite of thermogenesis and that it caused uh, hypothermia in an animal study. It doesn't help with nausea, even though... Um, it's kind of where the claim came, like if you have an upset stomach, drink like a ginger ale or something. Um, that's that's kind of along the same lines. I felt like it's helped me. I would drink a ginger ale if my, I had an upset stomach. But at the same time, the placebo effect is real. And maybe one day we'll have to do a carpool chemistry on, on uh, the placebo effect. No, I also could not find anything to say that... Uh, ginger helped with pain at all. But one good thing I did find about ginger, there's a study that uh, claimed that in vitro, it had some anti-cancer properties. So that's a good thing. I'm not saying that you should just, you know, oh, I won't get cancer if I eat a ton of ginger. It has some properties and it was in vitro, meaning it wasn't in a person. It was, it was trying to mimic a human tissue or an animal tissue, it's it, they're they're not always compatible, and we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. Um, peppermint, peppermint, uh, its claims was that it raised your energy level, focus, digestion, could it be uh, to help reduce your fever, headaches, pain relief, antiseptic, analgesic. A stimulant, once again, like focus and energy level. I feel like a stimulant. It's redundant. Anyways, um, 
can't read what that one says. <laughs> Antispasmodic and uh, anti-IBS. Uh, what was the irritable bowel syndrome? Sorry, get all my eyes mixed up. Um, so I did find that peppermint is used by like weightlifters and things kind of wake them up just because it's not by anything that's in the peppermint other than that it's a super strong uh, odor. It helps wake you up. It's very, uh, I don't want to say invigorating, but it's its a strong, you know, I mean, that's why it's in gum. That's why it's in all those things. It's a very strong smell. Um, it can help with some digestion. Doesn't help with fevers. Can help with headaches and pain relief. You've, you've seen that, like you've heard that you rub it on your temples. It helps. It, uh, it is a vasodilator. So that's why it's kind of, it can be used as a stimulant. Meaning that it opens up your blood vessels and that can help with headaches. It doesn't help with all headaches, but it can help with some of them. It's not an antispasmodic. It doesn't really have any antiseptic properties, but it does help with IBS, which was kind of interesting. I couldn't find a whole ton of negative things with peppermint other than like don't get it in your eyes, things like that. It is really strong and it will burn you. Um, so yeah, that's peppermint. Eucalyptus. Eucalyptus was supposed to help with sinitis, bronchitis, allergies, antibacterial, um, inflammatory, antiseptic. Oh, it was anti-inflammatory. Sorry, I tried to abbreviate these. Antiseptic and antispasmodic. So, uh, it was not antispasmodic. It was not antiseptic. And uh, I couldn't really find a yes or no on anti-inflammatory. I found a study that said it was antibacterial, but I read the actual study and the concentrations of eucalyptus oil they were using were ridiculous. Like, yeah, most things are going to be antibacterial. I mean, the soda that I'm drinking right now is going to be antibacterial if I use straight, you know, straight soda on a plate of bacteria. They're, it's going to kill them. Anything in high concentrations will kill bacteria. Um, eucalyptus does actually help. Um, it's kind of a nasal decongestant and can help with your airways. So it can help with sinitis and bronchitis and allergies. Um, it's also used as a pesticide, as a natural pesticide. I've seen, I found studies where it was used there. So some good things about eucalyptus. Is it a cure-all? No. Okay, next one. This is a big one that I've seen crazy claims from doTERRA, from uh, Young Living, and all sorts of websites about frankincense. And I think all these crazy claims come because, number one, their, their main base is conservatives. Most conservatives are Christians. Frankincense is in the Bible, so, you know, it's... There's all these crazy uh, claims about frankincense. Why else would they have given it to Jesus, you know? Um, so <laughs> the claims of frankincense, anti-inflammatory, regulatory of the menstrual cycle, that it's a cold killer. I don't – It's it kills a common cold. Um, that it helps with your immunity, 
heals age spots, fights cancer. I saw one that said that it fought the plague, um, that it's, uh, that helps with infections. It's an antiseptic. It's a diuretic. It's an expectorant, meaning like it, it helps with nasal congestion, and a sedative. And I'm just going to go right now and say I could not find anything that it actually did any of these. And now I'm going to put a little asterisk on what I'm saying uh, in that I'm talking about the essential oil. The plant itself had some of these properties. The essential oil, none of them. And that's because, like we talked about the way they make these essential oils, the, the active component in frankincense is called boswellic acid. I think I'm saying that right, boswellic acid. Um, and boswellic acid doesn't make it through the essential oil making process and is not in the essential oils. Uh, doTERRA and Young Living have actually, the, the FDA made them come out and say that it was not in there. They've had to admit that it's not in there. But because they're not regulated by the FDA per se, they can still make the claims that frankincense does all these things, even though the active ingredient that does some of these things isn't in their essential oil. Okay, so frankincense was a big dud because of uh, boswellic acid not being in there. Uh and that's, and that's the case with a lot of these things. Um, the plant has these, these uh, properties, but the oil doesn't because of the way they produce the oil. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. Some of the people that claim these essential oils are so good are the same people that want, you know, raw whatever. They, they don't want pasteurized this and pasteurize that they don't want they want it in its natural form but you're not getting the natural form essential oils aren't natural because you're never going to find a steam condensed and distilled version of a plant in the wild okay just my two cents on that um lemon the next one the only thing that it said about uh, lemons really was that uh, it helps with infections and it it really doesn't it just smells nice and that's why we use it as a cleaner it smells clean um, citric acid is the only thing really in lemon oil they get it from the rind citric acid is the only thing in there that could help and actually a lot of bacteria can use citric acid as a food source so probably not your uh, best bet um it the citric acid can help sometimes but it's it's not like a major just use lysol it's way better use lysol okay tea tree oil it's claimed to have uh antibiotic effects antifungal antiseptic it's an expectorant it says it's antiviral and then it's a pesticide Sorry, I couldn't find anything on tea tree that, that was really like super positive other than like it can help with some dry skin. Um, 
which most oils can. I did find, though, that it is poisonous when taken internally. So don't be uh, putting tea tree in anything that you're going to ingest. It has an LD50 of 1.9 milliliters per kilogram, which is like a lot. But at the same time, I just want to give you like these things. If you don't know what an LD50 is, LD means lethal dose. And 50 means, so an LD50 is the dose at which half of the things that they're testing die. So at 1.9 milliliters per kilogram, if you ingest that much tea tree oil, there's a 50% chance you're going to die. So, uh, yeah, don't drink. Uh, if you drink like 32 ounces of tea tree oil, you're going, there's, there's a good chance you're going to be in the hospital. Um, I also found that it's not good to let it oxidize, which is kind of funny because it's in like a lot of uh, cosmetics and things. If it oxidizes, uh, it's, it just pretty much loses any, any value at all, which is anytime you're in the sun, it's probably going to oxidize. Anytime you're exposed to air, it's probably going to oxidize. Okay. Next one, grapefruit. Um, it's claimed to be a tonic. It's, uh, supposed to help with infections, stimulant, antiseptic, antidepressant, and the, a weird one where it said when it was mixed with coconut oil that it would reduce cellulite. And of course, they tried to sell you the coconut oil to go with it. Um, so most of these were false. There, I found uh, one study that said that it helped with infections but had to be retracted because they found actual antibiotic materials that were contaminating the study. So it, it was false. And then also I found that some of these properties are found in the grapefruit seed, but most grapefruit oil comes from the rind because grapefruit seeds don't smell like grapefruits, but grapefruit rinds do, you know, that's why you zest things. Um, so, you're, you're not getting any of the effects that you thought that they were, that they're making claims about. Here's something with grapefruit, though. Grapefruit can actually be really dangerous. Um, grapefruit, the, the chemicals in grapefruit inhibit an enzyme called CYP3A4 which, uh, so it inhibits this enzyme that helps your liver break down drugs. So this is a big deal because for instance, if you were to take, uh, if your doctor said, take this 800 milligram ibuprofen to help with some, whatever pain you're having, that 800 milligrams is dosed out because and it is planned that your liver is going to break half of that down. It's already planned. You're going to get the correct dose, even though your liver is going to destroy and break down half of that ibuprofen. Half of that ibuprofen is still going to make into your bloodstream. Grapefruit and the compounds in it inhibit the enzyme that breaks that drug down. So if you're taking 
grapefruit oil or eating lots of grapefruit or drinking grapefruit juice with ibuprofen or whatever. There's lots of drugs, like a lot of statins get broken down through this enzyme. A lot of the drugs we take get breaking get broken down in our liver through this enzyme. If you're taking grapefruit or grapefruit oil, you're inhibiting that enzyme and you're getting twice the dose that you're supposed to be getting because that dose was already made with that uh, that enzyme. Like it was already planned that half of it was going to be destroyed by that enzyme. So you're getting twice as much as you're supposed to, which can be really dangerous. It can be really hard on your kidneys, really hard on your liver. So that's why like you'll see on some uh, medications that they'll say, do not take this with grapefruit. So once again, I'm, I'm pretty positive on grapefruit oil from doTERRA or whatever. They're not telling you, hey, don't take this with whatever. Because they're not regulated, so they don't have to do any of that. They can kill you, and you know what? That's just hopefully you told some neighbors before you died. Okay, next one. Uh, rosemary. Rosemary, they claim, helps with hair growth, which if any of you actually know me, maybe I should use some rosemary. I'm balding. Um, Anti-dandruff. Helps with pain. Uh, and that those are the only real three claims that they made. But... Uh, I couldn't find any of those besides anti-dandruff, which it's an oil. So that's it's anything that's oily is going to help with dandruff. You get dandruff because of dry skin. Um, I It was found to be a pest deterrent. Um, it has some antimicrobial properties, not really. And like I said, it's an oil, so it can it can help with uh, dry itching thing, itching stuff. Okay, last one, sandalwood. Um, sandalwood was claimed to be an aphrodisiac, so help with your love life. It was claimed to have anti-inflammatory properties, antiseptic, antispasmodic, and then astringent, meaning that it, it causes uh, causes things to contract or to wither. But none of those I could find to be truthful. I did find that sandalwood uh, raises your blood pressure, so careful with that one. My wife says, she does say that uh, sandalwood smells great, and a lot of these do. And that's what I, I, I kind of find interesting about the, the essential oil thing. None of the essential oils smell bad. Why is it only the good-smelling things are, like... Why are they the only ones with these curative properties? And that's what I kind of want to get into next is like they claim that these are these natural whatevers that have been lost to time or that the big farm was trying to keep from you. But in all actuality, there's so many things. There's so many drugs that come from plants or come from a, a fungus or, or something like that that we already use and are just making it synthetically or we're already producing it and we're just not trying to distribute it as a good smelling, you know, whatever. Okay.
And that's, that's kind of what I want to get into next. Um, is we've kind of gone through some of these essential oils. I want to get into some things that aren't essential oils that we could still consider natural, but maybe we don't realize that they are natural. Okay. So a few things that, uh, are modern drugs that actually come from plants. So the number one, the most popular one that is an example of this would be aspirin. Aspirin comes from the bark of willow trees. And it was used for a long time as a, as a painkiller, as it had these properties. And we discovered which chemical in the bark was the chemical that was causing these properties. And now we produce it synthetically. So we don't have to, you know, chop down millions of willow trees to get this one chemical that's causing these properties. We can make it in a lab. It's exactly the same. And now we don't have to chop down trees uh, to get our aspirin. So that's number one. Uh, morphine and codeine both come from poppy seeds. That, you know, the, they always say like the stuff that they give you right before you die. But, uh, but not actually like how amazing is morphine? It comes from a plant and it, you know, I, I don't know if poppy seeds, I mean, if poppies smell good, but, uh, we wouldn't have morphine or codeine. Very important, uh, painkilling drugs. I've been on morphine. It's amazing. I'm so glad that someone uh, looked into poppy seeds. Let's see, uh, digitoxin, another one that comes from a plant. They came, there's all the Latin names for them, but I didn't really want to try to pronounce those. So digitoxin, it helps with heart failure. Quinine, anti-malarial drug. Pilocarpin, helps with glaucoma. So there's a list that, of modern drugs that come from plant derivatives. Now... There's also a bunch of drugs, hundreds of drugs that come from other natural derivatives from things that you would probably find revolting if you only thought that things came, like if things only smell good, then, you know, you're, uh, you're kind of SOL when it comes to some of these drugs like penicillin, vancomycin, erythromycin, and all of the other pretty much uh, antibiotics that we have today. They don't come from plants. They come from funguses. Penicillin was discovered uh, when a mold was growing on a plate and they noticed that it was inhibiting bacterial growth because this fungus was producing penicillin and it was killing the bacteria. Okay. So a lot of these funguses produce our antibiotics, which is amazing. And I actually got to study these things uh, as an undergraduate at Utah Valley University. We studied what are called endophytes. Endophytes, uh, they're funguses that live inside of plants. And they're responsible for a lot of the medicinal properties of plants. These funguses live inside the plants symbiotically. Symbiotic, they're living together. And uh, 
these funguses that live inside the plants, they they produce these antibacterials, antivirals, all these things as kind of an immune system for the plant. The plant's giving the fungus the nutrients that it's pulling from the ground and the air and and things like that. And in return, the fungus is protecting the plant as acting kind of an immune system for the plant. And they're called endophytes. And this is a big field of study right now because a lot of the antibiotics we have, bacteria are evolving to be resistant to those drugs. And so these endophytes, we're, we're looking at new plants and, and new uh, endophytes and what they're producing to try to find new ways to combat uh, drug-resistant bacteria. So those are... Those are super important. Let's see. And so along with these drugs, I kind of wanted to go over uh, what it takes to become uh, FDA approved. Because that's one thing you'll notice if you're big into essential oils or if you're uh, if you've ever happened upon their website. You go down through all the claims that doTERRA or Young Living makes, and they have an asterisk by almost every single one of their claims. You go to the very bottom of the page, it says, like, these are not approved by the FDA, and these, it says right in their website that these essential oils are not meant to cure or to fight any disease or illness, which, uh, they are required to do that by the FDA because they are not, they're not regulated by the FDA. And some people like that about them. And that, like I said, there's, there's some of those terrible side effects that you can get from these essential oils that they don't tell you about. doTERRA does not have the bad side effects list on their thing. They only tell you that these things are natural and are good for you and will never cause any harm. Kind of like kind of like the Dr. Abaka thing that we're going to get to that here in a minute. But uh so yeah, these essential oils are not regulated by the FDA. And people like that about them. They're say like everyone all these people think the FDA is this corrupt uh bureaucratic system that is only trying to help big pharma or you know, the, these big drug companies. When all actuality, it's it's not. Um, I'm sure there's been some issues. And we're going to talk about, uh, like, I, I've heard that, like, if the FDA is so good at their job, why do they have to have drug recalls? They already approved this drug. Why do they have to have a recall on it? And so we're going to go through this drug pro drug protocol, what it takes to become a drug on the market today and why, uh, why they do have callbacks. So I got this from, uh, this actually came from the diabetes patient advocacy coalition DPAC. And it, it gives a really good outline of the phases of drug development and how we get the drugs on the market. So the first phase 
is discovery and development. Scientists like me are out there looking for molecular compounds and will either they're looking at a drug site and trying to develop a drug for that site or it's just kind of discovery based or they take a bunch of different shapes of molecules and see what happens to a cell line. Um, most of the time they use a specific site and try to design something around that drug site that, or the enzyme that they're trying to have an effect on. Um, so uh, as part of this discovery and development, the scientists are doing their, they're designing the drug. They're trying to dis decide like the concentrations, the dosage, the methods, like how they're going to get it to the specific target. Um, they're trying to determine if there might be any side effects, um, how the drug would be absorbed, metabolized, excreted, all of those things. And then they submit it to what's called CEDAR, uh, the Center for Drug Evaluation, Evaluation and Research, which is like the like the FDA isn't just like this big thing. It has a bunch of subgroups, okay? And so if the drug makes it past phase one, they go to preclinical research. In preclinical research, so if it, to get to preclinical research, this phase two, this drug has to show potential to help people. It can't, they're not just like throwing drugs, you know, in and seeing what happens. They are, these have been approved and these have been shown to help people at least in vitro. And so I kind of want to give a little synopsis of what in vitro and in vivo is. You'll probably hear those a lot. Like you probably heard of in vitro fertilization. Okay. In vitro means it's in a controlled environment outside of a living organism. Okay, so in vitro would be in a Petri dish or uh, in a, a vial. It's a controlled environment that's meant to mimic a cell tissue or at least a cell environment. Whereas in vivo means in a living organism whether it's in mice or humans or monkeys or whatever. That is in vivo. It is in an actual living thing. So in phase two, researchers, exa researchers examine the possibilities of a new drug, the possibilities a new drug may contain, new preliminary research to determine its potential harm for toxicity. And so, and they do in vitro and in vivo, okay? Then if it makes it past in vitro and in vivo, like these animal testing, then it will go on to phase three, which is clinical research. And there's four phases of clinical research. Okay. Clinical research is after the drug is determined to have some safety uh, in humans, whether it's, so it's past rat tests, it's past monkey tests. Okay. And uh, so now they're going to try it in humans. They're going to try First off, phase one involves a study of about 20 to 100 people and lasts several months. 
It's deter phase one, determine the safety and dosage of the drug. And so of all the drugs that make it to this phase, 70% of them move on to the next phase. So we're by the end of this, there's about 6% of the drugs that make it to phase three that actually go onto the shelves. Think of the thousands of drugs that are submitted. It's like less than a percent of all drugs that make it, that even that even come close to making it to the shelves, okay? Um, phase two. So this is 70% of the drugs make it past phase one. Phase two is a bigger study. It involves several hundred people who they have to have the disease or condition the drug is supposed to treat. The phase can last from a few months to a couple of years. Its purpose is to monitor the efficacy of the drug and, and try to see if there's any side effects that occur. Only 30% of the drugs move on to the next phase. So there's 70% that make it past, past this phase one of phase three. Uh, and then 30% make it to past phase two. The next phase involves 300 to 3,000 volunteers and can last up to four years. It's used to continue monitoring the efficacy of the drug, as well as exploring any long-term effects and adverse reactions. Only about 25 to 30% of these drugs move past the last phase to clinical research. Okay. So we have 70%. And then only 30% of the 70% move on. And then only 25 to 30% of that 30% of that 70% make it to phase four. Okay. Where this involves several thousands of volunteers who have the disease or condition and they continue to monitor the safety and efficacy. If the drug passes this phase, it goes on to an FDA review. So, just a little recap. This is like 10 years into research. That's that's just of this phase three. There's like 10 years in just phase three. Not, not even including the how many years it took to get to this point. Okay. It could be like up to a 20-year process to get a drug onto the shelf. Okay. So phase four of the bigger phase. Okay. Once a pharmaceutical company can prove that through all of this research, they have to submit this research to the FDA saying that it's safe. They can file an application and allow marketing. Okay. Um, they have to be able to say like dosage, the directions of use, the safety information, uh, Patient information, they have to know all these things. And then the FDA reviews it uh, for the next six to ten months. So almost another year. Uh, the applications reviewed as well as the clinical studies. They like comb over those. Make sure they didn't miss anything. Um, if there's any issues, they have to be resolved before they can be approved. Um, and, and the review team can request further data. They can request further testing before they make, and it's not just like the FDA is full of like a bunch of lawyers that are just like, 
Well, it doesn't look at, like these are scientists. These are some of the top scientists in the field that are combing over these studies. They are making sure every single I and every single T is dotted. Okay. If the FDA review team greenlights the drug, they work with the applicant to develop prescribing information so they can move on to the next phase. There's another phase after this. Okay. Phase five. Post-market safety monitoring, okay? Even though a drug passes the FDA, they still keep looking at it. They're going to still look to uh, make sure it's safe. They're always doing tests on them. So if a developer wants to change anything from the drug formulation or approve it for new use, they have to apply to the FDA. So if there's anything that they're like, oh, this also helps with this, they have to apply to the FDA again. Okay, <clears throat> and then the FDA also deals with the patents, like just recently uh, the EpiPen. You're now able to buy generic versions of the EpiPen because the patent is up for EpiPen. So this has taken at least 10 years to get to this point. If this is a groundbreaking drug for like who knows let's say some some like terminal drug let's say it's like anti hiv aids okay how many people have died in those 10 years because it took so long to get through this process okay this is and this was just to make sure everyone you know no one's going to get sued no one's going to get hurt okay most drugs that make it to this phase they're fine. Now, because like thinking of that 10 years, think of all the people that could have benefited from this drug, but because of the, because of the bureaucracy, because of the red tape, they couldn't get to this drug unless they somehow made it into the clinical trials and were able to use this drug. Okay. Because of that, the FDA understands that there's some drugs that they, the risk is outweighed by the benefit that might be uh, had if it, there was like a fast track. And there is a fast track for drugs. So it says, fast track, this process is designed to speed up the development and expedite the review of drugs that treat serious conditions and fill an unmet medical need. So this, these are like cancer drugs. Uh, drugs for serious conditions or terminal conditions where, you know, if, if I have a bad side effect, if, you know, I, I get some internal bleeding or something, that's better than dying of cancer. You know, that's, there's things like that. The, the benefit outweighs the risk. And then there's breakthrough therapy. This process expedites drugs that are found to be substantially more effective for a certain condition than others on the market. If this drug seemed to just work head over heels better than the next, uh, than its top competitor, it's going to be fast-tracked. Once again, it's, it's proven to be so much better so they can do fast-track it a little bit. And then there's accelerated approval. And this process is for drugs that fill an unmet medical, medical need and have evidence of potential clinical benefit, even though they yet don't prove clinical benefit. So I doubt that one's 
uh, like fast track, but it's a little bit of an accelerated approval. Okay. So, and then there's a, a priority review, which this designation means the FDA has a goal of making a decision on a drug application within six months. So they're really trying to hustle to get through this application. It has a priority. So that's a little bit of how a drug gets to the market. They have proven the safety of these things. And yeah, because of some of these these uh, fast track things that are trying to help people, some drugs get recalled. And these drugs get recalled after maybe they find an effect after it's been out. You know, some do you, every every single drug that you take, every single drug that you use, do you really want uh, it to take twenty years so they can just study study how you know what happens to a person after twenty years of taking this drug? We'd all everyone that ever had an illness ever would be dead or be suffering from having that illness for that long. So. You can say the FDA is corrupt or, you know, being paid off by big pharma. But, you know, and I'm not going to say that doesn't happen every once in a while. But overall, the FDA is a good thing. It was brought about by the safety, the Safe Food and Drug Act. If any of you have ever read The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, I'm pretty sure that's who wrote it. I should probably look that up. Anyways. I remember I had to read it as a sophomore and it talked about how, you know, in the Gilded Age of America, they could put anything in whatever and just claim it had whatever effects they wanted to. And because of that book and it talked about some of the things that were being put into meats and, you know, different foods and they were claiming that it was fine. Uh, how many people died from spoiled meats and things like that? Because we didn't have an FDA. Like, how spoiled are we now that we think that the FDA is this, like, bad corporation because they try to help us? And, yeah, they miss something, like, once in a while. There's there's a recall or something. But we don't get to see all the tens of thousands of drugs that could have had benefits but don't meet the standards. And so they don't make it to the shelves. And so we just think that, you know, every one in 100, I'm, and that's probably way more than actually, I'm just going to say one in 100 drugs that, you know, gets recalled because somebody has a bad side effect or something. Okay. The, once again, the benefits of having an FDA regulate and monitor something so far outweigh the risks of having a drug recall once in a while. It's, it's insane. Okay. Like I said, how privileged are we that we get to complain about somebody is trying to make our food and drugs safe. Okay. So, um, and wh why I went over this is that essential oils they're not regulated by the FDA. They can claim whatever they want. 
And as long as they're not saying it's a drug, which they don't, that's why they're not FDA regulated. Once again, they can make whatever claims they want. This, this also goes for like your herbal supplements. This also goes for any supplements, not just herbal supplements. Your, you know, your fish oil pills, your, uh, the, the ketones that you can buy for your keto diet or whatever. Those aren't FDA regulated. The only thing that is FDA regulated is drugs and food. And if they're not under those two categories, they're not, they're not regulated by the FDA. And you can claim whatever you want. And that happens all the time. Um, so, yeah, like. And, and I'm once again. I'm not saying essential oils are bad. I, I mean, I, I do think that the claims that they make from my research that I've now done, I know way too much. Uh, their claims are mostly BS. There are some good things and they smell good. I'll admit they smell good. I enjoy the smell of essential oils. And um, so I just think how much better would they be if the FDA had to approve them and or at least that these do that doTERRA and young living couldn't claim that it cured cancer or that it cured the plague they don't get to just say that just cuz they you know drowned a bacteria in whatever oil they had okay i think i think they should, I think supplements and uh, essential oils should be regulated. I think we'd all be much better off and you wouldn't have cases like I, I read a case where a little boy in Canada died of bacterial meningitis because his parents didn't trust the government's drugs to treat it. So they wanted to cure him with essential oils and they were giving him all these essential oils and that little boy died of bacterial meningitis, which is it's it's a scary thing because like even modern drugs have struggles. Uh, like people still die of bacterial meningitis, even with modern medicine. So these people are using these uh, the holistic. This holistic natural remedy that's not going to even touch the kid died. Because his parents uh, were, I'm sorry, but I consider that neglect. You neglected to give your child the proper care he needed because you were too prideful and too ignorant to use modern medicine. Okay, like I, I hear stories like that and it it pisses me off to hear those. I, I, I'm extremely mad those parents, I, I feel like they should be in jail and should not, should not be allowed to have children anymore because uh, obviously they uh, they don't know what they're doing. And I'm about to have my own kids, so I, I guess I can't judge too much. But I'm pretty sure I won't uh, keep my kid from going to the hospital because I want to cure him with essential oils. Okay. So, like I said, I there's essential oils aren't like this evil thing but I definitely think that they are uh, 
the claims don't have any merit at all. You definitely need to do your research. And that's what I've learned further. Like, I already had that opinion. I already had the opinion that, you know, aromatherapy can do some good. Peppermint can really help with a headache and stuff like that. But it can't do all of the claims that people claim they do. And and I don't know... I don't know where these claims come from. If they just come from crazy moms that like, Oh yeah, this will cure this and this will cure this. But I think we need to, if we all looked at things scientifically, we wouldn't have a lot of these claims. And if the FDA was allowed to regulate them, there definitely wouldn't be those claims. There'd be all of these lists of oils and <laughs> they could say they smell really good. They could make you feel gut nice because those are subjective claims. You can claim whatever you want still with those. They'll make you feel nice and uh, it may make your headache go away. Not for sure though. Depends on the headache. So just my personal opinion. Uh, that I, I personally think the FDA should be regulating them. I, I don't think regulation is a bad thing when it comes to safety because once again, People are saying the FDA misses things. How many things is doTERRA, you know, how much sand with all the sand that they're pounding into people, how much stuff are they missing? There's studies coming out that lavender causes little boys to grow breasts. What other things are they missing? And, uh, you know, and, and people just forget that essential oils are a drug too. They have an effect on your body. They are messing with systems in your body. Just because it smells nice and comes from a plant doesn't mean that it's uh, doesn't mean that it's has no negative side effects. There's lots of natural plants that kill people. I mean, you think poison ivy, poison oak, nightshades. Uh, poison hemlock, all of these different plants that kill people. There's a reason why you don't just go into the forest and eat whatever berry you can find. You should know because it, you end up killing yourself. And so just because you can take some random plant and smash it into an oil doesn't mean that you should just be rubbing it all over your body. That's, that's kind of what I've learned from this uh, so far. So with that, I think uh, I've gotten a little serious. And sorry if this seems a little long-winded. I had to kind of do it in two segments. I did some of it Tuesday night. And then I had to go into my lab, and I have an hour drive to my lab. And I came back at about 2.30 in the morning, decided I was going to wait till uh, Wednesday morning to finish this up. So I am regained my wind and <laughs> can keep going. Um, so yeah, so with that, uh, we're going to get into the update of that dipstick, uh, of the day, Dr. Abaka. Okay, guys, give you a, a recap of what happened last time. So I found this holistic website that talked about how this guy could cure me of anything. Um, and I thought that was significant. So I emailed him. I wanted to be cured of everything. 
and I told him that I had I had cold sore cancer from herpes and that I'd tried American doctors and nothing. And this guy assured me that he would cure me of all of my ailments. So I think last time, let's see, I'm going through my emails as we speak. Just make sure I get this. I'd give him my information. Let's see. <laughs> okay. Let's just start here. So, uh, at one point he called me his child and told me that the drugs had no negative influence, which I remember thinking was hysterical. I still think it's pretty funny. Um, and I just kind of was kind of making fun of him as I replied back. I was like, hello, my dad. So ready for I, – I'm talking – I'm trying to use broken spelling and stuff and like like I don't speak English just to uh kind of to mock him and to make it so he doesn't know that I'm playing him. So I said, "Hello," because he called me my child. I said, "Hello, my dad. So ready for cure. I already sent you 454 Singapore dollars. I wanted to see test to see if he really wanted US dollars." Um Said so ready for a cure now as coal cancer is getting worse and spread. Is there any way to make it at home? I hope gets fast. Thanks, please, gods and goddesses for positive influence, drug Carl. My name's Carl in this. And he replies back, once you're able to send the $454, I will prepare the herbs and send to your address, which you give me, okay? And I was like, I already sent you the money. Do you have it yet? I'm going to kind of paraphrase. I know this episode's a little long. Um, he's like, do you have the money? I I can provide you with the payment information so that you can make the payment through a Western Union or MoneyGram office. Guys, anytime anyone, there's a general rule of thumb. Anytime somebody wants you to make a payment through a Western Union or MoneyGram office, it's a scam. Those are classic scamming companies. Like, it almost always happens that way. So I reply, yeah, I already sent it. Should be on the way if it's not already there. Please, thanks, Carl. And I said, he didn't reply back. And I was like, has money there yet? Carl, Dr. Baca. He's like, I haven't given you the information to send the money. Uh, do you have a Western Union or MoneyGram office? And he... He says, which country are you from? All I want is honest people who really need my herbs to be cured, okay? Like, how how ironic and ridiculous is that? He just wants honest people. And then I was looking on the website and uh, saw that, that he also will give people herbs and blessings to win the lottery. And I said, do you have herb for lottery win? I need monies, Carl. And then there, he's like, no, I don't understand you. Do you want herbs or what? And then I had found, like, because all of these email things, they were copied and pasted, and they changed the name so that you would, 
like these these scammers will use all these different email like Gmail accounts and then you have to once you email they'll use that one. So I said so I email emailed Dr. Magana at Solution Center. It was one of the emails. I didn't actually email him, I just said I did. And I said, they say your product scam and that they send me real herb for my cold sore cancer herpes that will only cost 343 US dollars. Is this true? Why would you lie to me, Carl? And I, he didn't reply back. So I was trying to pull him out again. I said, doctor, I need cure help, please. Why you say $454 when it's actually 343 Okay. Can you send me Mercola herbs for lower price? Okay. I'm very poor in Dag's love and need cure or wife will leave me for uninfected with cold sore cancer, man. Reggids, Carl. And then Carl's, I mean, Dr. Abak is pissed at me now. Says, hello, my friend. I want you to know that what you just did is a disappointment because I know you will surely come back to me for my help because I know what you are passing through is not easy because using my cure is the best for you because there's a lot of becauses because you want to wait your money. That is you have sent to Dr. Magana will never help you because it's too cheap. And I advise you to try your best with him and I bet you will come back to me for help. Okay. And I'm like, oh, no, I lost him. So I was like, doctor, you know Dr. Magana? What is different, different, different sense in your herbola, herbal Mercola? I sent monies to Dr. Marbaca at a Western Union. Did I sent wrong place? I hope no. I hope no. What can do for poor homeless man like me? Need help, please. My wife will leave for unfected man. Please help, Carl. Then Dr. Abaka says, okay, I'll help you. Do you have the money now so I can provide you with the information? And I said, how cost it? Can you discount for homeless? I have 600 Singapore dollars. And Dr. Abaka says, ah, okay, my child. I'm a very honest father, so I want you to be honest to me as my son. I can trust you once you are cured, you will not forget about my good works. How much is 600 Singapore dollars in U.S. dollars? I did some math real quick. And I was like, I think it's about 435 U.S. dollars. Not good at maths. And I said, this is my last of my money for the month of August. Remember, this is, uh, <laughs> this is a week ago. So this is like less than halfway through a month. And I said, <laughs> does, does your herbs, do they cure hunger? Should I send all of it? And Dr. Box says, if you want the herbs urgently, you can send that amount so that I can start the, the preparation ASAP. Once you are cured, then you will show homage to my gods for their good works. Okay. Do you want the payment information, which you can use the payment through a Western Union money gram office? And I say, I'm just shocked. He's like, send it all. Uh, he's like, I asked, will the herbs help with starving disease? My stomach hurt from no food. I hope herb will help with that. Herbal Western Union want to know what country. Okay. 
what gods homage to. I'm I'm curious about these gods that I'm having to pay homage to. He doesn't respond, so I send another one. Doctor, can tell me what in herbs? Uzbekistan have strict customs. Please tell me Ingrid's so I can put on. I want him to tell me the ingredients. Uh, and then he randomly replies, that's to show appreciation to the gods for their good work once you are free from this disease. You're going to be totally free from any disease you are facing fright. I guarantee you 100% sure you're going to be cured, okay? I say, hey, I'm filling out a report at the Uzbekistan office. Can you tell me the Ingrid so I don't go to jail? I don't want to starve in jail. I will homage a god. Dr. Abaka assures me, you have nothing, you have nothing to worry about. My herbs are all natural and it's safe without <laughs> knowledge of side effects, okay? If you are ready to send money, let me know so I can give you the Western Union payment details. Because you're, and then he sends me another one. Because you're going to be totally cured forever after alpying my herbs. Free forever. Cured forever. And I was like, the customs office is not going to let me send money without the report of the ingredients. Please send me the ingredients. And then Dr. Abaka, obviously not understanding what I'm saying, sends me their Western Union details. So tell me if this sounds a little fishy to you. Uh, receiver name, Esther Michael. Receiver country, Nigeria. Text question one plus one, text answer two. Amount to pay, $600. And it says, once you have the payment, send me the following details of you. Sender name, sender country, and MTCN digit numbers, okay? Uh, so, on this person's blog spot, uh, there's one testimony video and it's of a girl i looked up esther michael esther michael is the person in the only video testimony on dr abaka who's supposed to be a man she there's this picture of this like shaman looking guy in africa so this lady has set up a fake account for this man and she's the only video testimony her name i looked her up on facebook she's She's a, this, that's how I knew it was her. Okay. So she's a Nigerian email scammer. And so I reply, this is where I, uh, decide to show I'm American. I just said classic Nigerian email scam. Nice. And then Dr. Abaka or Esther. Now my friend, I know you people always believe that we Nigerian are all fake, but I want you to know, that it's not all, this is what I really don't understand. It's not all about honesty and trust. I think they said it's all about honesty, but it says it's not, which is uh, ironic in itself. It's not about all about honesty and trust. So if you trust my work, you will know that my work is natural. Don't be afraid of the required amount needed. It's all for your safety, okay? And then they send me, because I hadn't, I was doing something in the lab, couldn't reply. Said, I guarantee you that you're in the right place to get cured. And this is what I wanted to end on. And I wanted to tell this person that I really think uh, they're a piece of work. So I said, uh, and you got to remember, this person had been emailing me nonstop for 24 hours. 
I, I just happened to be up late and just kept sending them emails and they were sending them back. So uh, unless it was two people, this person stayed up with me the entire time thinking they were going to get $600. I said, yeah, that's because you are all fake. I'm sure there's good people in Nigeria, but not people like you. Not people who scam helpless people dumb enough and desperate enough to contact you. People down on their luck with physical ailment and desperate for money. You disgust me. As for me, I don't have a disease. And I, I get a little vulgar. I said, I saw your bullshit comments that you paste into every holistic site in existence. And I knew you were a scam from the start, but wanted to make you prove it to me. And you did just that. Thanks for the entertainment. Hope I kept you up late. So I made this person think they were going to get money and just sit and talk to me straight for 24 hours and then just dump them on their face. And guys, I want to tell you, do, don't, I, I really sh probably shouldn't have done this because these people aren't just people in Nigeria that are doing this for, you know, just trying to scam people. These are crime rings that do this. These are like gangs. So don't do this. Uh, I pro I realized later after doing some research that I probably shouldn't have. Um, so I'm probably never going to do it again and hope it. Luckily, I never gave them any of my information. So, uh, yeah, don't just be aware of the scams out there. I'm not saying doTERRA and Young Living are scams. But I'm saying they're not completely honest. If we think the FDA and all of that's dishonest, how much more are these companies? I mean, maybe they actually believe some of the claims, which makes me think even less, honestly. Um, but we need to be aware. We need to question things. How many people are not questioning what Dr. Abaka is saying and sending them money hoping they're going to get this cure that's never going to come? These people take your money and you never hear from them again. Okay. I would say at least with doTERRA and Young Living, you get something that, I mean, you are getting something tangible. You actually can, you know, rub all over you or whatever. I'll, I'll give them that. Um, so, yeah, so that is the update with the dipstick of the day, Dr. Abaka. Okay. Um. So guys, I guess kind of in closing, uh, just just wrap it up. I came into this thinking, number one, I, I'm not going to lie. I thought most essential oils were BS and that, uh, that there was a few properties of some of them with aromatherapy. And I'll admit that I actually learned that there are some positive properties of a lot of these oils. But I also learned, I also, I'll admit, I also thought uh, that there was no negative consequences of them too. I had fallen for the same trick that they trick everybody else with. The fact of the matter is, if you think there is a bioactive chemical in something, it's going to have an effect, good or bad, and it may have both effects. With the bioactivity with the positive consequence, there has to be a negative consequence 
if there's too much concentra concentration, whatever, you know. There's a saying that uh, the only difference between a poison and a drug is concentration or like how much you have, you know. Uh, and that goes true for a lot of things. I mean, ibuprofen, really good, helps. It's anti-inflammatory, fever reducer, pain reliever. You take too much, you kill your kidneys and your liver, okay? Caffeine can help you stay up, can help you, you know, focus on things. I had some this morning because I was up late last night. Too much, make your heart rate spike and uh, can make it so you don't sleep. And, and there's some times where people have had like serious heart issues because of caffeine, okay? And that goes with any compound, you start raising concentrations of things, you're, you're going to start seeing negative side effects. And that's what I think kind of, and that's what I've decided is kind of dangerous about these essential oils. Number one, you don't know the concentration of them because they're not FDA regulated. All they say is what's in it. If they're even truthful about that. Okay. They don't have to be because they're not FDA regulated. They don't have to tell you what's in it. There could be cyanide in every one of them. I don't think there is. But just saying, they could throw that in there and they don't have to say it. Um, they don't tell you concentrations and they don't have to tell you how to actually apply it. Okay. For example, just I, I looked at the most popular uh, blend that doTERRA does. Uh, one of their most popular ones called Digest Zen. It's a digestive blend. And some of the primary benefits, I'll tell you all of them have asterisks, supports healthy digestion when used internally, consumed to soothe occasional stomach uh, upset, take orally to help reduce bloating gas and occasional digest uh, indigestion. And it has, once again, it has all of these different uh essential oils in it, and it doesn't tell you the concentrations of any of them. Ginger, coriander, tar tarragon, fennel, uh, anise, anise, caraway, peppermint, okay? There's all these things, and they don't tell you how much is in each of them. They just tell you how much the bottle is. It's, uh, 40 bucks. That's, uh, if I'm paying 40 bucks for something, I want to know exactly what's in it. Anyways, um... But like, for example, there's some things that say to take it internally and some to say to rub it on your stomach or something. I'm sorry, but that that's another problem that I have with essential oils is that they tell you to use them topically and the benefits for most of most of the benefits, they are internal. So if you're giving a digestion blend and you're telling them to rub it on the outside of their stomach, it's not going to work. You're, you don't absorb, <laughs> your stomach doesn't absorb things through your skin. You know how scary that would be? That if every time you rubbed up against something, your stomach and took, like, it, it absorbed into your stomach? I think we'd all be a lot fatter if we could absorb things that way. No. Your skin's a very protective layer that doesn't allow for things like that. You, your 
you have to ingest it in order to have an effect on your stomach. Now, if there's some pain relief, I guess, you know, rubbing it on your stomach might help, but not really. You're feeling the pain on the inside. That's, it's just manifest on the outside. Okay. So, you know, that's, that's, like I said, that's one of the other problems I have is that it, they tell you that they have these properties and then don't tell you how to apply them right. Um, so it's, to me, there are some good things about essential oils. There are, aromatherapy can be a real thing. Lavender can really help you go to sleep. Be careful with it. Um, peppermint can get rid of headaches. There are some things that have to do, you know, cancers, antioxidants. But in all actuality, we should just trust modern medicine. And you can use these things kind of like you use caffeine to stay awake. Just use it, you know, but they don't cure everything. They don't even come close. Okay. I think scientists are a lot smarter than uh, your average, you know, person, doTERRA salesman. I don't want to offend any doTERRA salesman, but uh, I'm going to trust scientists over you. I'm sorry. Because uh, I, <laughs> I talked to the CEO of doTERRA. They couldn't give me a chemical pathway or a biological pathway of how these things work. So yeah, that's that's kind of the gist on essential oils. There's some good things. There's some bad things. If if you want to say they're a drug, then they should be regulated like one. And that's that's what I'm saying. Um, so yeah. So next week, next week you guys voted. I I wanted to put it up to a vote. I'm gonna try to figure out how to make it so you can vote on more topics. But uh, next week's going to be GMOs. Hopefully it's not as long as this one. I don't think it will be. I probably should have made this one a two-episoder, but whatever. It's fine. Um, so, yeah, next week, GMOs. We're going to get into genetically modified organisms. Hot topic right now with the whole uh, lawsuit about glyphosate. So we're going to get into GMOs, and then I'll probably decide the one. I'll, I'll let you guys vote every other week on what the topic is. Then I'm going to decide which one I want to do every other week as well. So that's the update with that. Um, I'm, I'm going to be probably – I'm trying to decide if I'm going to make a Facebook group or a Facebook page for this or an Instagram page. I know you guys – a lot of you guys wanted pro tips and stuff. Um, I just don't know how to do that yet. And some of you guys want videos. I don't know if I'm going to do that either because uh, – I, I just not not now at least. I probably later in the future I'll do some videos. Uh I might even do some videos helping some of my class uh that I teach with some of the things they do. I might do some helps with that. Um anyways, so those are some updates. Send me an email what you want this to be. I'm still I'm I'm it's in its infancy. I know I'm not perfect. I know this is this is probably way too long of a podcast. Probably should cut it down and keep it to about an hour. But I, there's just so much to get to. So, like I said, if it gets too long, I'm going to do two episodes per subject uh, on the long ones. But, yeah, guys, that's, uh, that's, that's the updates. Once again, send me an email. Tell me if you liked it. Tell me what you didn't like. 
Uh, I've added some more transition because I realized if you're not listening to this on the Anchor app, you can't hear the music that I'm adding. And it sounds really weird when I just jump topic to topic. So uh, I added some transitions to help with that. Uh, And if you want to hear the music, you got to go to Anchor. But this is on Spotify. This is on Stitcher. This is on iTunes. It's on all those things. Um, but I would say the best way to listen to this is the Anchor, the Anchor app. It is a really good app, and I've been very impressed with it. So yeah, guys, uh, hit me up. Let me know what you think. Um, send me any topics. So far, I have about twenty topics, and I'm probably going to be posting those here pretty quick. So yeah, I uh, hope you liked it and have a good one until next week.